My grandparents' house was torn down 11 days ago. I grew up beside that house. My father was born in that house. At one time, the house was so beautiful that people would regularly drive through the property to look at all the amazing flowers that my grandmother had planted on the grounds and around this neat, tenderly kept, two-story, wood-sided, white house that my grandfather built in 1929. After the house was sold out of the family, I watched the gradual decline and the signs of abandonment began to appear. The weeds grew up, the trash piled up, and the flowers were all dug up. There were empty holes where windows used to be missing shingles from the roof, dingy paint after years of neglect. And then on March 1st, the bulldozer came and the house is no more. Now I'm a tremendously sentimental person and I was very sad at that news, but the Lord arranged it. Listen, so that at the very moment that I received the video of the bulldozing, I had my Bible open and my computer open, and I was working on these verses at which we have looked for the last several weeks. And verse 5 says that we are being guarded by the power of God. And I remembered that Peter wrote in the next chapter over that we are like living stones and that we are being built into a spiritual house. And so the Lord redeemed that moment, and I was comforted. I said, Lord, we will never be like my grandparents' house. We will never be torn down. You guard your people. You protect your people. You never give up on your people. You never leave us. You never abandon us to decay. Even though our bodies are wasting away on the outside, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So it's revival and not abandonment. It's keeping forever and never letting go. Is that good news? And so I encourage you this morning with the hope by which God encouraged me. God keeps his own until the end. We have sure hope until we're home. And that's what I want us to talk about as we return this morning to 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles open, if you'll take them and turn there near the very end of the New Testament you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray together. Father. 
Teach us through your word now, we pray, through the power of your spirit. Give us hope as the truth of your word collides with the realities of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll ask you to look again with me at verse 5. It tells us that we who have been born again into a living hope by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This morning, we are going to focus on this one word, guarded. And first, I'm going to give you the definition of this word and then talk about two of the characteristics of the nature of this guarding. So first, the definition. In classical Greek, the word meant to be sleepless, to watch all night, to preserve. It then came to mean to provide with a guard or hold in prison. So keep those things in mind. It meant to be sleepless, to watch all night, to preserve, to guard, to hold in prison. Now let's talk about some characteristics of the nature of this guarding. And the first one is this. The guarding of our faith is the work of God. The guarding of our faith is the work of God. Peter writes the word guard here in the present passive tense, which means this. The guarding is going on right now, and you aren't doing it. The guarding is going on right now, and you aren't doing it. You are passive. The Lord is active. The Lord is keeping you. Just as verse 3 tells us that God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Just as verse 3 tells us that God is keeping our inheritance for us. The only reason that you and I are going to make it to the end, and we are going to make it to the end, the only reason that you and I are going to be able to dodge all the fiery darts aimed at us to bring us down is because God is guarding you and me. In light of the definition of that word guard, to be sleepless and to watch all night, how beautiful then become the words of Psalm 121. Behold, look, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Asaph wrote in Psalm 73, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Nevertheless, I was continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me into glory. Our God is always on watch, always guarding us in our faith, holding our hands, ensuring that you and I will make it through this life and enter into the glories of the next. In accordance with the definition of this word, we would not be wrong to picture God as holding our faith captive 
imprisoning it, not letting it go. It tries to escape, our faith does. Doubts sneak in and try to unlock the door so that our faith can run away and escape. Science passes a a file through the bars so that we can begin to file away at the bars and our faith escapes. Human suffering, our suffering, mocks our faith. Conflict in the world shakes our faith. Hypocrisy of other believers and our own frequent sin and failures work together to seek to crumble our faith. But God, God guards it. He holds it captive. He'll not let it go. He'll not let you go. Philippians 1.6, the apostle Paul writes his own version of what Peter has written here. He says, I'm sure of this, sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work. I think the apostle Paul intends for our minds to go back to the good work of God about which we read in Genesis 1, in the time of creation. God created everything that is. And he looked at all that he created, and over and over again, God proclaimed this. It is what? It is, it is good. It is good. It is good. The work that the Lord accomplished by his own word was not incomplete. The Lord didn't abandon it half finished. He didn't turn it over to Adam and Eve to tweak or refine or redesign. No, it was good. And it's only when the work was done, when it was completed, that the Lord God rested. And so now, you and I are his good work. We are the objects of his good work. And the work that God begins, he completes. Because you are God's good work, you will make it to the end. No abandonment, no bulldozing, never will it happen to God's good work. Is that good news? That leads us to the second aspect of the nature of this guarding. Verse 5 tells us it is done by the power of God. It's done by the power of God. And we need to pause here for a moment and think about the power of God for this one reason. Once some people came to Jesus with a question and the question that they had doesn't matter. It's not the point. All that matters is that when they came to Jesus, they were wrong in their thinking wrong in their logic, and therefore wrong in their conclusions. And Jesus said this to them, You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. They were wrong because they didn't know Scriptures and they didn't know what God's power was. If we don't know Scripture, if we don't think about and know the power of God, we will succumb the confusion and to the lies of the world, 
Not in just some things, but all things. Peter's going to go on to write in his next letter that God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter's just saying what Jesus said. The knowledge of God, the power of God, not in some things, but all things. And so we must know the power of God, do you? I'm going to ask you an easy question, easy to answer, especially if you're in church. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that he is the one and only true and living God? Do you believe anyone is greater than God? Then what power can there be in your life that's greater than the power of God? And if God's power is guarding you and keeping you, then what ultimately can defeat you? The answer there would be nothing. I like how the great Puritan Richard Baxter put it. I love him. I love him so much we named our dog after him. Baxter, our boxer. He's dead now. Maybe he's with Richard Baxter. I don't know. Baxter writes this. In our first paradise in Eden, there was a way to go out, but no way to go in again. But as for the heavenly paradise, there is a way to go in, but no way to go out. Isn't that beautiful? Those angels with flaming swords stood guard over the Garden of Eden. So that Adam and Eve could not return there in their sin and eat again of the tree of life. But now look, the power of God keeps us from ever going out of the kingdom of God once he has brought us into it. Forever we will eat of that tree of life. Did I mention we are kept by the power of God? Let me give you this picture from God's word with the prayer that it will lodge itself in your memory, as soon as the Lord saved his people, as soon as he had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh and the slavery of Egypt, Pharaoh's army began to chase God's people into the desert. And so the enemy army is behind them, and you know the story, the Red Sea is in front of them, and the people felt trapped, and they felt afraid. We often feel trapped. We often feel afraid. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And that's, of course, what happened. By God's power. He made a path through that Red Sea. By his power, he piled up the waters so that the people walked through to the promised land on dry ground. And so by his power, you will make it to the end, to the heaven God has promised to you. You heard Jesus' words earlier in the service from John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. Add to those words, these words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What a glorious truth this is to teach. The saving and the keeping power of God. It was one of the favorite topics of Charles Spurgeon, and he said this, that if he were unable to preach this doctrine of the saving and keeping power of God, that he would at once renounce his pulpit. If he couldn't preach this, he didn't want to preach anymore. You probably recognize all this as the P in that acronym that Calvinists like so much. TULIP, right? This is the P. Stands for the perseverance of the saints, but I think it's better called the preservation of the saints. Listen to chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Accepted in Christ. Effectually called and sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This, preservation, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but on the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ the Son and the abiding of the Spirit of the seed of God within them. Listen, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all working together to bring you home. Is that good news? This is God's truth. Often our reality feels different. We doubt that will make it. Satan wants you to doubt. As the accuser of your soul and mine, he keeps our sins ever before us. So we ask, how could the Lord love someone like me? He wants to steal your faith, to corrupt it, to make you give up on it. We sang earlier this morning, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the experience for so many people. We see people around us deconstructing their faith. We talk about that a lot. Deconstructing is just the new, trendy, elite sounding word for apostasy. People say they're just making space to honestly examine their faith, but what they're really doing is demolishing their faith. Several of the brightest stars in our celebrity pulpit constellation have deconstructed their faith recently. After proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ 
to multiple thousands, they then deny Christ. And we hear the news, and we're shaken. We ask, where is God's keeping power? If God didn't keep them, how do I know he'll keep me? Don't be shaken. Listen to this. Their story is not yet over. And if they ever truly belong to the Lord, these same people will be making headlines again. This time, when they reaffirm their faith in Christ. When the lifestyles and the ideas that they thought would make life a little easier or better, when those fail, when they discover that the abandoning of life didn't make life easier or make them freer, but instead just bound them up in meaninglessness, then if they were believers in Christ, they will return. Now, it would infuriate them if they were here and they heard me saying these things, that God still has them and that God will bring them home. They say that's not what they want. But look, they miss the irony. They miss the irony that Peter wrote the words at which we're looking this morning under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you miss the irony when you feel weak in faith or like giving up. Listen, listen to what Jesus said to Peter. Simon, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Not if you return. When you return, Satan didn't win. Peter deconstructed his faith because life apart from Christ seemed for a time better and safer than life with Christ. Listen to Peter's own story. In his own words that he told Mark, and Mark recorded in his gospel for us, it's just after Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter and all the other disciples fled and left him alone. Then they said to Peter, some who saw him, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Again, they said, this man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But Peter began to invoke a curse. What did that sound like? Ah! He began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. But then what happened? Jesus took that intimate walk with Peter along the beach, and it was so beautiful. How beautiful is the guarding, keeping love of Christ while they walked together and talked together along that beach. Peter was overcome with his love for the Lord, and Jesus restored him. And so that Peter now writes these words at which we're looking this morning, guarded by God's power. Who would know it better than Peter himself? The truth of God's saving power is to draw us closer to the Lord who is keeping us. What are the rest of the words 
of that song we sang. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. What's the end of Asaph's song? When his foot almost slipped. But for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The truth of God's keeping power is not intended to disconnect you from God because he's just going to take care of everything no matter what you do. No. This truth should keep you closely connected to him because he loves you so much that he is taking care of you by his power. Draw near so you're not flailing on your own. Plagued by doubt, draw near to the warmth and the heat of the power of that love that would want you, that would call you, that would keep you, and that will not let you go. Let's pray. Father, may we know this love that you have for us, the depth of it that causes you to keep us. You call us to yourself. You begin this work and you complete it. Father, give us such assurance in our souls. There are doubters here this morning. We all doubt at times. Father, let these truths from your word ring in every ear here this morning. Since you loved us enough to call us to yourself, you love us enough to keep us for yourself, not just now, but for all eternity. Thank you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.